In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Butch Tanish about e-commerce product pricing. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 77. Today's episode is sponsored by Drip. Drip is the world's first e-commerce CRM and a tool that I personally use for email marketing and automation. Now, if you're ever in an e-commerce store, you need to give Drip a try, and here's why. Drip offers one-click integrations for both Shopify and Magento. There's robust segmentation, personalization, and revenue dashboards to give you an overview of how your automation emails are performing. One of my favorite features of Drip is the Visual Workflow Builder. It gives you a super easy way to build out your automation rules visually and see the entire process. It lets you get started quickly, but also build very complex automation rules. It's powerful, but also easy to learn, unlike a lot of email tools that offer the same type of automation. To get a demo of Drip today, you can go head over to drip.com slash BOE. That's drip.com slash BOE. Now onto the show. Welcome to the business of e-commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Plusky, and I'm here today with Butch Tanish. Butch is a founder and CEO of PriceSync, where he helps users optimize their e-commerce product prices. I asked him on the show today to talk a bit about how you can set your product prices and optimize them against your competitors and how to best figure out what to actually price your products. So, hey, Butch, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing fine, Charles. What about yourself? Doing good. So, first of all, how did I do pronouncing a name? I want to make sure I didn't. Oh, was I too far off I there? Mean, if you give my turn, like it's Burch Tanish, but okay. I didn't want you to put into such a difficult situation. So, <laughs> you, you, did, you did quite fine, I can tell. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, yeah. So yeah, we were just talking before the show about what PriceSync does, um, and super interesting. I didn't know this actually even existed. So can you tell a bit about what you guys do over there? Will you help listeners? Sure. Let me let me yeah yeah let me start uh, in the most generic terms. So we in, in a way help e-commerce companies to price their products in a let's say optim optimized way. But here is how we do that. So you know, if you are obviously in a in a competitive e-commerce landscape, you need to monitor all the actions of your competitors, including their pricing decisions. So, and on top of that, you need to come up with competitive and profitable pricing decisions. So we help e-commerce retailers from all around the world to really satisfy that in an automated way. And we do this in actually three steps. So we initially help those e-commerce companies to automatically identify all their competitor listings. So let's say they are selling product A. So we automatically identify all the listings for this product A on, let's say, tens of e-commerce companies out there. And with that matching, let's say, landscape, we then focus on tracking all the prices of those products on, on those tens of different channels in an automated way with our price monitoring module. So we have an automated price monitoring for benchmarking all the prices over the competitors. And then we deliver all this, let's say, fresh and updated data in a web dashboard. We send email alerts, we send Excel reports, but also we help e-commerce companies to set uh, algorithmic pricing rules depending on those competitor prices and also their target profit margins. So they can satisfy both profitability and competitiveness by setting rules like, for example, I want to be 1% cheaper than cheapest of my competitors, but I still want to have like 7% profit margin. So when they set such price rules, we calculate smart prices for each and every product of theirs. And then we trigger price changes in line with those newly calculated smart prices on their website. So thanks to that, they remain competitive and profitable at the same time. Okay, so you essentially have a repricer that works like for everyone sort of thing. Because when you hear repricer, you always think Amazon. It's, you know, 
a lot, a lot of folks use one there. It checks out the competitive products, um, but in Amazon, it's all one listing. But you're saying you kind of do something similar, but like just for for everyone, right? So if I'm selling on Shopify, it can go look at my competitor sites and say they're selling it, you know, three dollars more. Or this guy three dollars less. Where should I be? And you kind of have some rules. So that's didn't even know that existed. Actually, that's very neat. Um, yeah, yeah. So when you start working with uh, a retailer, right? What are some ways we kind of talked actually about a blog post recently? Um, you actually put it on the Spark Shipping blog. It was very cool on how to. Um, you know, price products and you had some methods for that. So how do you actually approach product pricing? Cause you see a lot of folks just, you know, you get this list price from your um, supplier and you know what you pay for it. And then you have to kind mm-hmm. of bake in some margin, but like, is that the right way to do it? Or how do you even start with that? I mean, it's the most simplistic way to do that. Let's say, I mean, obviously companies should always consider their costs because in, for example, in, Fast growing companies, this can be somehow neglected. So we see a lot of growing e-commerce companies that are not after profitability on day one or maybe not in day 100. So then they just go bankrupt. But for e-commerce companies that we work with, we mostly kind of put this emphasis uh, on costs. So they should always monitor their costs, their list prices, and then they should always care for certain profit margins. So this is called cost-based pricing and it's simple, let's say, uh, mathematics. So you just have a cost and then you have a target profit margin. And then you uh, you come up with a target price, let's say. But obviously, this works out in isolated markets, which doesn't exist. So you, nobody can say that they don't have competitors. They don't really compete on the purchase decision of their, let's say, shoppers. So because of that, only cost-based pricing doesn't really work out in real life. I mean, it might work in theory. You can calculate a new price and just set a price. But you will make no sales in case you don't consider the market. That brings us to market-based pricing, which is actually mainly focusing on your competitor prices. So wait, I always want to make sure I get that. So the first one is you call cost-based pricing, and it's essentially correct. just that raw markup, um, kind of the most basic calculation you could do, right? Of you take, hey, we paid a hundred dollars for this widget. We know shipping is X, Y. We know we want a margin, so let's charge one hundred and forty-five, and that's our price. Um, so unless you have like a, you know, a general store in northern Alaska where there's no one else around and you're the only one there and everyone has to buy from you, this might not be the best choice, right? It's very, just because in e-commerce, there's always competitors. So this used to work a hundred years ago, but now kind of there's other things, right? There's other competitors. Yeah. And because the, the, the problem with that is that you cannot really see whether you have undervalued or overvalued your products because you, you just come up with a profit margin but who told you that profit margin first of all like how did you come up with this let's say target 20 percent maybe it's too low because if you are actually setting this 20 percent and if you are still when you when you go into the market and when you start benchmarking your prices with that 20 percent margin if you notice that you are let's say 10 percent 20 percent cheaper than the cheapest of your competitors I mean, that 20% is too low because even if you make it like 25%, you will still be the cheapest in the market. You will, you will still get the same sales volume, but you won't leave any money on the table. The other example can be setting it like, for example, again, 20%, which brings you to, let's say, double the price versus your competitors. Then you will never really make a cash 20% profit. So that's actually an artificial 20% profit margin. So the cost-based prices are actually kind of like threshold so that that can guide you in the first step but you i mean i I recommend all our customers to have an excel file where they you know set their target profit margins where they come up with this original cost-based prices 
but then we bring in all the competitor prices alongside them and then they also calculate a certain price point that only depends on the competitor prices so if that for example cost based prices can satisfy it satisfy the competitiveness that they look for then the cost based pricing might work out but unless the competitive prices dictate you in a different way you might uh, reconsider this cost-based pricing approach. And that's called market-oriented pricing in our jargon. Okay. So you literally depend on the market. You find your orientation in the, in the market. So this requires a lot of, as I said, competitive intelligence. And just before the show, we were discussing that, you know, most of the e-commerce companies today are still conducting that research in a manual way. And that's a terrible job. If, if we have now listeners, for example, listening to us and, saying that, okay, I'm doing this job on a daily basis, so, you know, how come you can say that it's terrible? Because it's terrible, so they can automate that, so they don't necessarily need to visit all their competitor websites one by one, like a few times a day or maybe a few times a week, and then crunch all the data in a manual way in an Excel file and then recalculate prices, but instead they can use automated solutions like, I don't know, ours or our competitors to monitor all the prices they need and then uh, find their, literally, orientation in the market by applying market-oriented pricing. Another, uh, if it's okay for me to proceed with the third, let's say, pricing strategy, yeah. unless you have any. So yeah. another, another, yeah, another strategy is uh, actually consumer-oriented pricing strategy, which might sound like uh, an isolated market. So what I'm saying is that if you are, for example, retailing products that goes into mainly the premium shoppers, like if it's kind of luxury products and stuff, you might say that okay. We are only we are our only competitors. So we define the market. We are selling luxury products. It's only quality. Our shoppers don't care about the price and so on and so forth. Well, how about even so, like a um like I'm thinking like print on demand, right? Let's say I make these T-shirts and they're my own designs, and you know they're my designs, so no one else has them. I'm getting them printed, but each one is I really am the only one that made this T-shirt, made this I don't know pillow or whatever it is. And they're your products. So it doesn't even need to be luxury, I'm guessing. It could just be very unique products that you even make. I mean, yeah, unique unique might be the right way to put it rather than premium and luxury. But premium and luxury can have the chance to, you know, charge, you know, more than anything. So yep. that's, that's why we mostly conclude that to be in jewelry. Because in pillow, in actually, let's say, creativity, in our, like, today's mass production, let's say, market, creativity is even a commodity. So if you don't buy this, for example, unique T-shirt, you can buy the other unique T-shirt anyway. So then it... It doesn't really become unique, but in case of like jewelries, in case of, I don't know, really expensive products like premium products, they might really claim that they don't have substitutes or like competitors and stuff. So in such cases, obviously, the profit margins shouldn't be shy. So you literally can satisfy your profit margins, even they go sky high. And it also tells us how to, let's say, set up our prices in a psychological way. So we, we actually open another chapter in this consumer-oriented pricing where we discuss few psychological pricing theories. So I believe it might be also, let's say, relevant to this. What was that term? So psychological pricing. So Psychological I mean, pricing, okay. So we, we believe that actually many professionals believe that pricing even has a bit of psychology in it. So it's actually pricing is mostly the subject of, let's say, economics in our school books and stuff. But we believe that it's also partially, you know, belonging to psychology. So it's a mix of economics, mathematics, and psychology, because, you know, it even matters whether you put down all those prices in larger fonts or lower fonts, whether you just put them in red or blue and stuff. So they, they even have theoretical studies, uh, you know, trying to detect a trend that depends on them. For example, one, one striking example is 
uh, rounding up the prices, let's say. So if you are retailing, for example, consumer electronics, if you are retailing that microphone you have in front of you, that's kind of like a geekish product, if that's the right way to put it. So if you have a shopper in front of the computer aiming to find, aiming to purchase that product, I mean, they are really after the technical specs and they are somehow after a really well-calculated price, which can be something like $99.89. So that type of price would convert better rather than just a dummy $100, whereas it will only like it will only matter like 20 cents. I'm, I'm sure that that guy wouldn't mind like wouldn't mind 20 cents, but such uh, let's say differences, such changes in price points can really matter in certain consumer situations. And another example can be this unique let's say product designer-ish items. So and in such cases, you know the, the shoppers are mainly after an experience rather than just all those specs all those calculated prices and stuff. So they would like to see, for example, if you go to websites of, for example, Armani or all those, I don't know, luxury brands, there is a reason why they just use really like kind of rounded up price, like $100 for a, not $100, but $1,000 for a leather bag or like $1,500 for a t-shirt rather than $1,489.7 and so on. So such tweaks can be also identified when you really look into your consumers as a person with a certain psychology uh, working inside. So then this, this, this level is called consumer-oriented pricing, which is still going in hand-in-hand hand with market price because the market contains the consumers, uh, the shoppers. So the, the, the reason why we are kind of telling all those strategies together is that you should be really melting them in a single pot rather than saying, okay, I'm going to go after cost-based pricing because that's the way to go and so on and so forth. You really need to understand all of them. You really need to kind of apply that in some way, like all of them for your products. And then you need to find the sweet spot uh, for your products. That's what we are kind of trying to do with our product. We are aiming to satisfy the cost-based pricing by letting our users to define, let's say, target profit margins for their products. But at the same time, we tell them to set competitive price rules by like being 1% cheaper than the cheapest. And then we try to see whether all those rules can be satisfied under a certain price point. If that works out, we then set the new optimum price point accordingly. That's, that's I think, the right conclusion. Okay, so you can even mix these. These can be like layered on top of another, basically. On Correct. You obviously start with your... Um basic pricing, right? Because you want to have some guides. You want to just know, I, you know, I need to make above X or I'm not profitable. And anything over a certain margin just becomes a little ridiculous. So you, you use that as kind of like your end, you know, end post, right? But you, you mentioned setting some, some folks at prices at, you know, 99.9 sort of thing. Um, and then others do the, you know, 110 dollars and 71 cents why would you mm -hmm. do one versus the other um in what case because i think it's about like computational powers of like humans let's say so you know a shopper that's after a, like, a designer item like a pillow for example is actually maybe using the creative side of their brain so they are not really after any cost calculation and so on they literally want to focus only on the product they don't really want to deal with the price so they don't really want an additional, let's say, complexity during their purchase decisions. So they just wanted to see, okay, it's $100, it's a nice picture of the product, add to cart. But in, let's say, the buying journey for like technical products, you are already using a lot of computational power to 
analyze, let's say, a gigabyte of that device, I don't know, the screen card of that device and so on. And then when you go to the price, you also want to see kind of the same treatments at the price point calculation. So you want to see that, okay, the, the retailer calculated a certain cost and they just edit this, let's say, calculated target profit margin on top of that. So, okay, this is a calculated price. So I mean, this is not just what I kind of come up with, but it's actually a research uh, which which is already on paper, on PDF. It's actually containing a certain findings and stuff, which actually... Uh, proves that such price points converge better on uh, such products. Let's say in, 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 in designer unique items, rounded up prices convert better than their, let's say, well-calculated counterparts and vice versa. That's, that's, that's actually a theory already proven in, 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 in an economics experiment, let's say. Okay, so it's almost more of this like right, right brain, left brain sort of thing, right? When you're kind of, of yeah, yeah, you're yeah. more like... You're thinking of the more um, artistic side and yeah, the pillow is just something you like visually. You can just set up 150, whatever it is, a number. Um, but when it's more of something where you're looking at specs and you're real, it's not like a, you know, like you said, the microphone, it's not a product that you are buying because you're in love with this microphone. You, you're hitting certain, I need to be this, that, like there's very specific things. You want a very specific price as well. And that actually changes the conversion you're saying. No. Yeah, 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 correct. That's correct. Wow. Okay. That's very good to know. Um, what are the kind of little surprises like that, actually? Have you kind of found with pricing? Because that's something I wouldn't think of. I see it, but I wouldn't think that pricing would really affect the conversion based, based on like the decimal point. Yeah, it, it definitely affects the conversion because, you know, when you when you imagine a case when uh, when a shopper is on your website where they just opened the product page, they are looking into the product. So, you know, what would you expect them to do? At the next step, so you you would obviously hope them to add the, add your product into your cart, but you know rather than doing that, they mostly open different tabs on their internet browser. They just look out to the competitor sites for the same products at different price points. And if they actually spot a cheaper, let's say, option on a reliable website, then they just actually bounce out bounce out from your website, and then they add the product into the cart on another website. So this dramatically decreases your conversion rates. So in such cases, we recommend our users to focus on low conversion products when they really want to start with a batch of products uh, on price competition, let's say, because we tell them that they might have the real problem on, those, on that set of pro products where they have relatively lower conversion rates. And when they really start with, let's say, that batch of like lowest converting thousand products, when they import that into pricing, we really see like conversion increases almost at 100%. So that's that's really also in, in, in our case, theoretically proven. And one other thing uh, with, let's say, competitive pricing is that it might mostly, because of the all those repricer landscape in Amazon, it might mostly sound like uh, a race to the bottom, to, to, be, to be clear. But we, we really see many cases where, <clears throat> sorry, our users are actually mostly undervalued uh, because they, let's say, have a nice relationship with that supplier A, so they just purchase the products at a really low, let's say, purchase price from that supplier, and they just bring them into their inventory. And when they, let's say, set a default 20% profit margin, and then they go and they go into the market, they might somehow remain still too cheap versus too cheaper versus their competitors. So unless they actually benchmark their prices versus their competitors, they might feel quite relaxed that okay, we still have 20%, so we are okay and stuff, but 
if they even bring that to 25%, so if they increase their profit margin for the for the products, they will still make the same sales volume because you know because of the price elasticity, they will still hold the cheapest price position in the market, let's say. So they won't lose sales to the other like retailers. They will keep all those purchases. And let's say if that 20% to 25% jump is let's say $100, they will make an additional $100 out of every sale purchase. So otherwise they will be losing all that money on the table. So it's not always necessarily a race to the bottom, but the, the, the contrast can be also satisfied where we can dramatically improve uh, target profit margins while we are still improving sales volume. So this is actually the power use case that we are like, to be frank, selling to our customers because they also have this kind of uh, negative feeling of going in a, in a race to the bottom where they will lose all their profit margins. Well, they will increase their sales, but they will get rid of the profit. So at the end of the day, they will still make less money. But we prove them the otherwise, other other method where they can also smartly increase their prices. And also, we, we didn't discuss about one important part where we also monitor stock availabilities of competitors. So because stock availability is also kind of a pricing criteria, let's say, because unless you have the product in stock on your website, that price does not exist. So we sometimes detect uh, business cases where a major competitor goes out of stock at a certain product. So this actually makes a unique and really you know, amazing price increase opportunity for our customers. So we also trigger such stock availability, availability changes in our product. So we can let them know that, okay, your competitor is out of stock or in stock back again. So you can also change your prices depending on your competitor's stock uh, availability. Yeah, that's a good one, actually. Back, so I used to have a dropshipping business back in the day. And um, I would sell on Amazon and in a few other places. But I just knew there was this one product for some reason we carried and Amazon carried. That was like the only two people for some whatever reason. It was a very well-selling product. And... Like two days out of each month, Amazon will go out of stock just for like maybe 12 hours. But in those two days, you could double the prices and like the sales would just fly in. Just go, 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 go. And then Amazon will come back in stock, lower the price and compete throughout the month a little bit. But they would win most sales, obviously. And then just monitor that. And I just knew this, you know, the second that went out of stock, we just see like a rush of orders. So there's one particular product coming in and just kind of having that, um, ability to monitor it is key, right? Because everyone could have the product, but if you're the only one with it in stock, and we work with a lot of folks here that they do that kind of hybrid drop shipping where they might be going to distributors, but they might have their own internal warehouse. And just knowing, okay, the distributor went out of stock, everyone else is dropshipping went out of stock, but we still have a hundred sitting here. We can now essentially charge almost anything for that product and people will still buy it. Um, so having that like competitive intelligence of both is really, that's, that's key, right? Because you can make a lot more money there. So it's not just, like you said, racing down. Um, what do you do, actually? What is the correct place to set your prices? Are you trying to always be slightly under the lowest competitor, the, the cheapest competitor with one in stock? Or is there ever a case to go above? And if it is the case to be slightly under, what happens when you have those competitors in the market that are just like off their rocker and they set the price like this like mm -hmm. losing price is it is it basically mm -hmm. you just know you're gonna hit your floor they go below your floor and you just have to wait till they go out of business is that kind of the, mm -hmm. the play there 
Actually, that's that's the way Amazon tries to play in the market. But obviously, it, it depends on your let's say growth appetite. I would I would I would say. I mean, if if you are really after increasing your sales volume in a in a in a rocket ship, let's say, then obviously you need to be really competitive. So you should really rely on almost non-existing profit margins for a certain while. So it, that's what we call penetration pricing. So this is not sustainable at all. But if you really want to make your brand heard, make your actually products available in the market for like thousands of shoppers. So if you can really kind of change that strategy into a more profitable, into a more sustainable way in a certain like period of time, so let's say in 12 months, in six months, maybe in like two, three years, if you have the funding, then that makes sense. But we see that many e-commerce entrepreneurs or companies forget that sustainability part. So they just actually bring in a lot of funding in the first few years. And okay, you just demonstrate all those growth figures and stuff. But then in case you don't apply that, let's say profitability transition in the right time, then you basically, you know, you end up with burning more money rather than burning less money. That's that's the problem. So some of our, you know, it also depends on the, let's say brand awareness of, of, of the company, depending on the, it's a competitive position that they aim for. So some of our com- customers are not really that uh, well-known in their market. So they are mostly competing on price. They are using a lot of, let's say, Google Shopping. So they mainly, they mainly drive a lot of traffic from Google Shopping. And if you have a shopper on Google Shopping, that's the right type of uh, audience that you would like to attract by prices because it's literally price benchmarking. So if our customers are mainly focusing on channels like price, uh, like price benchmarking, Google Shopping, etc. Then, obviously, aiming for lowest prices, etc., makes sense. But if you have actually uh, a really loyal brand, let's say base, customer base, and if you know that even if you are 10% higher than that unknown competitor of yours, your shoppers will still buy from you. Then you might still aim for higher prices than the competitor. So in such cases. I think we also can be quite helpful and we are working with many competitors, uh, sorry, companies that are aiming such levels because in, you know, in case they don't rely on our data, in, 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 you know, in case they don't benchmark their prices versus competitors, they might also offshoot that, let's say, uh, margin that they add on top of that lowest competitors. So they can say, okay, we have a loyal customer base, we can be more expensive and so on, but in case they cannot define that more expensive parts and they just offshoot the price, they might fail to convert those customers. So even in order to you know, find that additional price point they will add on top of the cheapest competitors, they need our data. So it really depends on your brand, to be honest, so your customer base. And also it depends on the, uh, let's say, customer acquisition channels that you are mostly using. If you are mostly driving traffic from Google Shopping like like channels, then obviously you should be aiming for cheaper prices. But if you are mostly driving traffic organically, if you have like a lot of social referrals and stuff, then it means that you have nice social following, then you can aim for higher price points. That's what I can tell. Oh, so that's a good point too. Also, that makes sense. It depends on the channel, right? Because like yeah. you said, if people just organically come into your site because you happen to you know, if they're searching for kitchen knives and you rank number one organically for kitchen knives, then they're probably not shopping around as much or even like Instagram influencers, that sort of thing. They're buying it just because they saw it. But if you are going searching on, like you said, microphones on Google Shopping, then you're seeing a list of all the microphones, all the specs, all the prices. So you need to be competitive with those other um, players on there, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, even on Google Shopping, you might say that okay, I have more reviews than my competitors, so I can still price my product five percent higher. But you know, even in that case, you still need a benchmark. So you know, as I said, even if you want to be the most expensive company in the market, you still need a benchmark because then you should be more expensive than the you know next uh, most expensive brand. So you still need to monitor the prices to even become the most expensive in the market. So. You know, everybody needs data. Everybody needs intelligence to act whatever they want to do. Actually, so it's it's impossible to act without data in today's let's say crowded e-commerce market. What do you see for people who are drop shipping, for example, where they go to a distributor and they sell the same products that thirty other people possibly have? They're selling, you know, Black and Decker toasters or whatever, Black and Decker vacuums, whatever they sell. Um, so there's nothing like unique about their site, and they just Putting listings in different places. What's mm -hmm. the like? What's the method of attack there on pricing? Is it just to be the it, cheapest, or? Yeah, mostly it's to be the cheapest, and also it's mainly depending on their channel building strategy. So if you can say that okay, if you are on Google Shopping, you need to compete on price more, and if you are actually on, let's say, uh, Instagram. I mean, if you actually actively dictate your growing channel, you can also kind of implicitly change your pricing strategy. So we, we advise all those dropshippers not to rely only on price, even if, you know, that would make more money for us. We also tell them to actually rely on more, let's say, premium channels like Instagram and stuff where they, don't, they won't be benchmarked right away versus their competitors. But, you know, at the end of the day, they will be benchmarked because, you know, people are smart now and it takes only... 10 minutes to find a better deal than than, than yours. Uh, like just a quick Google search can end up with tens of results for the exact same product. So at the end of the day, they yeah surely need uh, the better prices. And But we shouldn't forget that the price also consists of the cost layer, just as we discussed in the beginning. So what they can really do better is actually to set their cost strategy rather than just only the price strategy. So they can negotiate better with a certain supplier by, I don't know, setting up certain like quotas and stuff, so they can really negotiate for lower unit uh, product costs to still, you know, set the same profit margin uh, with all those other dropshipping competitors, which will still bring them to a lower price point. So we always tell our uh, customers when we see that their prices are higher than their competitors, that they should also discuss this problem with their purchasers, with their purchasing teams, procurement teams, rather than just simply bringing their prices down. So in the, the first action that they should take is actually to discuss things internally before bringing their prices, let's say, $5 down. So that, that's the same thing for dropshippers. So if they see that their competitors are really charging way lower than themselves, it means them. It means that I mean, they, should, they should literally go to the door of that supplier and show all the other competitor prices in the market and ask, ask how did that happen, actually. That's, that's what I can tell. Yeah, that's a good one because and I always tell people the same thing on, um, and I, I did the same thing actually when I was in e-commerce, just every mm -hmm. so often you should go to all the suppliers and just ask for better prices. I mean, as simple as it sounds, you should just like ask every, whether it's six months or 12 months or whatever it is. And if you're putting sales in through them, a lot of times you can actually get to a different like pricing tier and sometimes they even have defined tiers or they're a little like wishy-washy, but they do have these like tiers. And usually when you're first coming in the door, you're on obviously like the worst tear. And then as you expand, just keep asking and you can get on better tears. And same deal with um, shipping rates and carriers. If you have negotiator rates with any of the carriers, ask again because you can get better negotiator rates. And as you kind of 
bump up your sales, you're going to move into another tier. And then you're just going to bring the cost structure down. And as you do that, so that's the stuff you don't see that reducing those back end costs allow you to be more competitive on the front end. Um, I think everyone's thinking like pricing, pricing, pricing. That's like, that's the number one, but all the other stuff to just reduce your costs or even the other thing that I've seen a bunch of successful retailers do is on the, after the uh, sale, focus on that. Is there an upsell? Is there a cross sell? Is there a newsletter where maybe, you know, you actually start looking and realize the lifetime value isn't just that one sale on average, people are going two or three sales. Then it's a whole different pricing strategy of knowing, okay, I could actually lose money in the first one and make money on an upsell. Um, and you see this all the time with like electronics, right? Someone buys the, the you know, $2,000 camera or the $2,000 TV and they sell them the super expensive um, HDMI cables. You would never walk into a store and buy $45 HDMI cables. But if you just spent two or three grand on a TV, you might actually buy the expensive gold-plated mm-hmm. cables, right? So they kind of do that upsell after mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and make their money there. That's kind of yeah. an example of that. Yeah, I mean, if if you talk if you talk about the peripherals of prices, like I mean, there's also the major layer uh, actually, which is called marketing. So you know, the, the, because when you market your products in e-commerce, implicitly you market your price points. So you, when you, for example, you know, pay CPC money on Google or Facebook for let's say a product ad, you you make the, the, those people to click your ads. So and if if they click your ads, let's say they just end up with this nice product picture, nice product name, and obviously a nice or not nice like price point and they will again actually search for that same product code on google and they will open three new tabs for the exact same product anyways and if you're actually ending up with companies uh actually sorry shoppers that are opening up your page and then opening up your competitors tabs and then ending up with competitors that means that you are paying cpc money for your non-competitive products so we actually help our customers with their, let's say, product marketing planning because we help them to decide on which products they can market today, uh, depending on their competitor prices. So we mostly help them to actually pick, the, let's say, their pri- uh, the products where they have the cheapest price position in the market. So when they actually market those products, they don't lose any sales to competitors. So they are. CTRs, CPCs, and everything are more optimized in such cases. I mean, the other, the, the other way will be simply, you know, marketing all your products all at once and also observing a certain leak for the non-competitive ones. So literally price affects everything. I mean, we that's really what I believe. Okay. All right. I think this was super helpful. Um, I want to leave some links in the show notes if people want to learn more about you um, or see what you guys are kind of working on. What can they do so? Uh, actually, we, we, we have a free trial. I mean, we, you know, we, we have a nice blog, first of all. Let's, if, as we are in a actually content discussion now, so as we are actually sharing this podcast and actually video with our listeners and watchers, let's say, we have a nice educative blog that focuses on e-commerce, mostly all things of e-commerce. But obviously, we have a certain expertise and thought leadership on pricing strategies and stuff. So they can simply go to our blog, like on pricing.com, and they just check out all those nice articles that we have crafted so far, or actually that we will be also crafting in the near future. And also, if they're interested in finding out how our product might help them, they also can go to pricing.com, sign up for our 14-day free trial, and our sales team, our actually team, will be jumping to conversation with them to initially understand what they're after, what their pricing strategy is, and to see whether we can be really helpful to them. And in most cases, yes, we feel that we can help to any e-commerce company out there because 
you know, th- that's why we just discussed for like 30 minutes. I just, I think we can conclude that pricing really matters for all types and all sizes of e-commerce companies out there. So that's, that's I think, the best way to proceed. I'm checking out our blog content and also checking out our products for a 14-day free trial. Awesome. We'll definitely tell all that in the show notes. So thank okay. you. Thank you very much for uh, coming on. It was good chatting. You're welcome, Charles. Yeah, same here. Thank you for taking me. Thank <laughs> you.